Hello, hello, and welcome to Women's Wisdom Wednesdays, where we come together every Wednesday to empower women just like you, foster connections, and thrive on our journey of surviving womanhood. I'm Casey Conrad, well-being specialist and whole life coach, and my beautiful, amazing co-host. Hi, I'm Bianca Carson. I'm a business and mindset coach. Thank you. Today, we have a very special guest joining us. Her name is Isra John Parker, and she has an incredible story to share. But before we introduce her, let's take a moment to address you, our audience. We want to remind you to visit our website at www.survivingwomanhood.com, where you can find valuable resources, connect with other women, and stay updated on our upcoming episodes, webinars, workshops, retreats, read some interesting articles regarding the guests that we've had and the issues that they're facing and challenges that they share, and a number of other things that we feel are put there to support you, our wonderful audience. We encourage you all to actively participate by asking questions and adding comments. If you have a story to share, we'd love to hear it. This is a safe space for us to learn and grow together. We'd also like to ask you to share your favorite episodes you never know who out there needs to hear these inspiring stories. Now, let's meet Isra Jen Parker. Isra's story is a testament to strength and perseverance. Isra is a senior lecturer in marketing and digital marketing at the University of Chester. I don't know if I'm saying that right, Isra, so you can... Chester. You can, okay, thank you very much. Say that again. Chichester. Oh, perfect. Thank you very much. My English isn't so English. <laughs> Isra will be discussing her personal journey and experience having been diagnosed with a petroclival mangioma. This is a brain tumor that sits at the base of the skull, and only 2% of brain tumors are actually petroclival mangioma. Isra was operated on in November of 2022 and has been working very hard on her recovery with the support of the National Health in the UK and her own personal regimen of exercise and holistic therapies to support her own healing. She started documenting her journey on Instagram, and we will give you that information before we close today so that she could connect with other people experiencing similar challenges and to educate those who are in the process and facing the same trials. Her supportive husband, whose name is? Richard. Richard. And her two amazing sons have been her inspiration for her recovery. So Isra, is there anything that I've left out that you would like to add in your bio and introduction? No, I think you have covered everything except that I do like exercise. I love the outdoors, etc. So, um, but no, I think you've covered everything. Thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. Thank you. So we're privileged to have you here today. And we're sure that your journey is going to serve as an inspiration to many out there. 
So let's begin with question number one. Can you please share some of the challenges that you've encountered, encountered during this journey and how you've managed to find the strength to endure through your concerns and health challenges and to finally come to this place of acceptance and fulfillment in your life? Yes, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your platform. Uh, I think it's absolutely amazing. I've listened to quite a few of your interviews and the variety of people that that you have. You know, it's so important to have these live stories and, and reach out to real people and real women out there. So thank you very much. Um, I do feel very privileged to be here. Um, <laughs> it, so... I think it's uh, probably um, a good place for me to uh, start is actually just before my um, operation. Um, uh, so prior to that, I had, you know, quite a, a good life. I just started um, a, a new job as um, a program group leader um, at Chichester University in marketing and digital marketing. Um, my two sons, they were preparing for their GCSEs and A-levels. And, you know, we had um, a, a good social life. We're quite an, an active family. Uh, so we were also preparing for a holiday, et cetera. Um, but probably um, I, I would say about uh, six months, um, uh, I had terrible backaches, uh, really chronic back pains, I would say. And um, I went to chiropractors, um, osteopaths, I tried all sorts of lotions and potions, but um, nothing was actually helping me get rid of this pain. And it was beginning to affect my life because um, one leg, I started losing function of one leg. And um, because I am from a, a fashion background, I became very self-conscious of it as well. Um, so for, for instance, when I would deliver lectures, I always made sure that there was a desk nearby that I could hold on to, to help me keep my balance. Um, because that was something that I was losing, um, quite rapidly. Uh, and so there were things that were happening and my surgeon basically said, um, I, I'd had a bit of a traumatic experience. I'd lost my mom. And um, the tumor had was growing in the head for about 15 years. So it was there for a long time, but it wasn't growing at the speed that it suddenly did when my mum passed away. And, uh, and then it started growing at such a speed that I um, went, uh, I, I decided, I don't know, I had a hunch um, that something just wasn't quite right. And um, I decided to go private and I, they suggested I have a full spinal and uh, a head um, MRI. And uh, yeah, so when I got the results, uh, it came as a massive shock, you know, as you can imagine, you know, they said, oh, you have a tumor. And this news was actually delivered to me online because we were towards the end of that horrible, you know, COVID period. And um, they said, oh, you need to come in and see the specialist quite quickly. So um, 
anyway, we, we, we went and the specialist surgeon, he um, said that it's um, a very rare tumour, but unfortunately it's, uh, it affects a lot of areas of the body because of its um, location. So it was pressing on uh, vital nerves, uh, the brain stem, etc., and um, the scary bit was, he said, if we don't operate on this, um, so this was in uh, May, and he said, uh, the nearest time we can get you in will be November. But the problem is, by November, this tumour is growing at such a speed, by November, you will lose all function of your legs. So um, he he said, the only issue with that is once that function has gone, even after the operation, you won't. We, we can't bring your legs back. You know the function of your legs, and so you know that in itself was really um, quite scary because uh, I am a very active person. I you know I love exercise, and um, for me to be wheelchair bound and you know lose all function of my legs was you know really devastating um and but but anyway you know it, there wasn't anything else we can do and uh, and then w one day early june i got a phone call and it was a surgeon he'd had meetings and he'd managed to bring my operation forward so amazing, yes. He said, you know, um, in two weeks, in July, we can do your operation, which meant that potentially, if the operation went all right, my legs would be saved. But he also said, because of its location and it's so intricate that we can't guarantee anything at all. And so, again, you know, during that time I was we we were given a bit of a uh, uh, very gloomy sort of outlook so he sort of said to me that I you know I, I may not I, I basically I might either be a vegetable or I might not make it through so to me it was a bit of a no-win situation because if I came out as a vegetable what good am I to my sons and my family, husband, you know, and and then the prospect of not being here at all was, uh, uh, I don't know, I just, uh, even now it upsets me when I think about it because I just then got into, um, uh, I don't know, this space where I thought, right, I need to write letters, I need to record videos for my sons, you know, one of them was due to be turn turning 16, the other one 18, and so um, I got all this, you know, for them. Anyway, fast forward, <laughs> uh, I was very, very lucky, I managed to, uh, I had a 16-hour operation, and uh, thankfully, you know, uh, well, when I came out of the operation, I heard all these noises and I thought, oh my God, am I, is this hell or heaven? <laughs> uh, and then very slowly, I sort of worked out that, oh my God, I'm alive. But I couldn't feel my legs. I couldn't feel 
anything and I just kept dipping in and out of sleep. I think I was in intensive care for uh, a couple of weeks and then I moved out and I had a room for myself, uh, I think again, another couple of weeks. I couldn't walk. Um, and so I thought I'd lost um, the function of my legs. Um, and I, the nurses would come and move me and, uh, you know, sort of flip me over and all this to stop bed burns. Um, and uh, it, it, one time I, I said to her, you know, um, will I not be able to walk now? And she didn't want to say anything to me. And I, I said, why? can I not feel my legs? And uh, again, she didn't want to give me any information without the specialist being there. So I said, could you get my leg? Being, you know, the exercise person that I am, I thought maybe if she moved it, I wanted to see if I felt anything. So she lifted my leg and I felt nothing at all. And then I asked her to do the other one. And again, I felt nothing and then I told her to bend it for me but at the time I had lots of like these thick bandages on so she couldn't do that anyway um but uh for, for some reason I really don't know why I I just sort of every time I saw the nurse I said could you move my legs for me and something was telling me you know to do this and so I you know, these nurses would come every time they'd see me, they would move my legs. And then one time I felt uh, a little, I just felt a sensation and I asked her to do it again and I felt it again. And, and it was from that moment I thought, right, you know, with, you know, we can, some, something can be done because I felt something and I told the um, surgeon as well that, um, you know, I felt something. And uh, anyway, we sort of like continued with these um, movements and they'd come and whoever was walking around, I'd say, can you just, you know, move my legs for me? And they would. And gradually, uh, you know, the sensation actually came um, uh, in my legs. I had, I couldn't move them or anything. So the challenges that I had at the beginning whilst I was in hospital was that I couldn't move my legs. Um, I had pipes um, in my mouth because um, I couldn't feed myself. Uh, and also I couldn't swallow either. Um, and this side of my face, uh, it was all to completely frozen. Uh, so eating walking, those type of things were, to begin with, my main challenge. I couldn't speak either because I, like my tongue and mouth wouldn't, wouldn't move. So, um, yeah, they, they, they were the sort of um, initial challenges. Um, but I just sort of, uh, before I went into the um, surgery, I started reading up on people who had overcome, you know, adverse sort of situations. And the thing that they all had in common was being positive and using, you know, their sort of uh, focus. 
And so every single day, um, because I couldn't do anything, I couldn't focus very well anyway. I was in and out of this dreamlike state. But one thing that I did do was I would just imagine myself standing up and walking. And that's that's all I did. And I did that probably like every waking moment when I was in hospital. And then one day I did stand up <laughs> and I they the nurses they they couldn't, you know, believe it and my surgeon couldn't believe that I was sort of standing up. Um but I would flop down. So I had a lot of, you know, um rehab after that. Um so uh, yeah, so for me, um the physical things came quite uh, quickly and by quickly I mean about say uh, 14 months or so I was able to do things I it, it took a while to get the physical things back but they were the easy bits it was the other stuff in here that took a while oh <laughs> yeah now I, I have a couple of follow-up questions sorry to me no um one uh, question. I'm going to ask that two questions to you now, and then um, you can answer those two in the order in which it works best for you. So the first question is, um, pre-surgery, what other options, if any, did they give you? Or what kind of a prognosis did they give you if you chose not to have the surgery? And question number two, post-surgery, what were your specialists telling you straight away? What what were they telling you about your recovery, your prognosis, um, and how did you manage through that? It's an amazing story that you're 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 telling us, and it's also so uh, heartening to hear you say that you know you did this visualization because I I've experienced this myself and also. Um, with clients that I have, I've experienced the amazing power of our minds mm. and, and how they can work in these situations. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. That's a very important point. Yeah. But I would like you to, to, if you can answer those two questions. So pre-surgery, um, uh, the tumor was growing so fast that I think within nine months, I would have died basically that 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 was the choice i it, it was every single day i was finding that my leg was becoming weaker and weaker and i was having to drag it more and more but this side of my face started dropping my balance was also not very good at all and uh it, it was just a scary time because i didn't know why that was happening but when he said that, all of a sudden, you know, when you're given, yeah, I, I sort of felt as if I was being given nine months to to live. So, I uh, yeah, so so that was the pre-surgery stuff. Um, I've just made a note. So, uh, how did I? Uh, so post-surgery, when um, the uh, at the hospital. Um, when when I um, woke up, I noticed that this eye was completely clamped shut, um, and I'd, it, it, the lid. Even when I tried to peel it open, it just would not open at all. 
And because my legs were not moving, I I think the doctors, they didn't want to, uh, because uh, I think every individual responds in different ways. And so they didn't want to say to me, oh, in, you know, so uh, they basically said um, in about a year's time, you should be able to, you know, start walking. Um, but I started walking, you know, much, much before that. <laughs> uh, so, it, yeah. And they also said because of the nature of my operation, it had affected lots of different parts of my body as well. Um, and so they did prepare me for a long um, a journey of recovery. And they sort of said about five years. And I, it's, uh, I wasn't you know, expecting to return to work this soon. <laughs> okay, that's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bianca. And how long were you in hospital for in the end? In the end, um, I think it was about five weeks. Oh, wow. Not lo- I thought it was going to be, you want to say it was much longer than that. Yeah, no, no, no. I was um, in there for five, five or six weeks. Maybe it was six. Uh, because I was in intensive care for two weeks. Um, and then I, yeah, no, actually it was, um, four weeks. Yeah. It actually sounds like such a short time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, um, at the time I think they had such a massive list of people that, um, Literally, um, I I came home and um, we had some miscommunications between um, my GP and the hospital because I had my MRIs done privately. And so the surgeon who operated on me, he also was um, uh, in this private hospital as well. Um, uh, So nobody actually checked in on me at all to see whether um how i was getting on at home they didn't check on my family or anything so it was a bit you know scary and it took a, a long time actually um, many many months to get through to the doctors so most of my recovery was all done privately yeah amazing i mean that truly Amazing. And I, I have uh, one more question for you, and then we'll allow Bianca to take it from there. Um, so you talked about your eye, and clearly we see you're wearing an eye patch. Yeah. Right? So can you can you address that for, for our audience, please? Yes. So um, uh, the eye, um, so in, in the head, they had to take quite a lot of mass out. All of this side of my head um, inside is um, metal, so titanium. Um, and I, uh, there are uh, several nerves that were severed along the way. There's one, uh, there's three nerves um, which connect to the eye. One is um, a long way off. So basically, um, for, for, for the eye to open, you need these three nerves and for it to rotate as well. Uh, so gradually, uh, the eye did open. Uh, so my eye can open and it started moving side to side as well. To begin with, it was just stuck in the middle. 
and then it started moving side to side but it doesn't move up and down and it doesn't sort of go like that in those directions um and so when i take this off i have triple vision Ah. and then that so instant so if i was to take this off and close this eye i would fall instantly um and my perception also with steps for example when i'm going down steps um i can't i can't because i have no depth perception i can't work out whether it's a step or flat because it looks flat to me all the way and um so it's really helpful when i come across steps where they've you know um uh, painted it in yellow you know on the edges where you can see oh these are steps but when you come across stone steps you know you can't see uh and so it it, it becomes you know quite challenging um but also on this side, my uh, hearing isn't very great either, and I have lots of noises. So w- what I do is I wear um, earplugs, but most of the time, I haven't got them in now, but if I'm going out, I will always wear earplugs because even when I'm exercising, uh, because I, outside noise disorientates me, and so I've got to try and minimize that. I think that's amazing because I, those are things that people don't think of when, you know, they hear someone's had brain surgery, you know, that these nerves are severed and and how it takes such a long time for nerves to heal if they ever do heal. Yes. And and what kind of residual things that you as a um, as a recovering as recovering from surgery deal with through your recovery. So those are amazing. Thank you. And honestly, I am quite stunned that you have sight with having those optic nerves severed and how yeah. how amazing that is that you have sight at all. Yeah. Think, uh, yeah. yeah. That's something that I'm I'm very surprised about, but that, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And um, well, the, the other bit of research that I did, because I kept asking the surgeons, you know, what can I do about... Uh, because even this eye uh, didn't focus very well. And then um, through my own um, research, I don't know if you've heard of Brock string exercise. Um, so basically, it's a long string and it's got beads on. And uh, so every single morning, religiously, twice a day, for months and months and months, <laughs> I would focus on them and so this is why this eyes got stronger because I think of that Brock string exercise that I've been doing um but but uh, again you know I think I've I've worked really hard on my recovery because each morning I wake up and I go through my exercises so before I could go out for instance um and when I had the frame to hold me I would set myself challenges every day that I would stand up today for, for instance, 30 seconds more or, um, I'd, I, yeah, I would try moving this because this side of the face wouldn't move and I would, yeah, just, I would constantly be exercising. My job was, you know, getting better and so I did everything I could. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Thank you. You do. You're you're doing an amazing job. I see you in the gym. Um, <laughs> honestly, it's a real inspiration to see you do all those things. 
Um, um, so really that follows on from my question is how did you like process and adjust to all of these challenges? Because there's multiple things that you've had to go through and it's a big transformation for you. What strategies or practices have helped you the most to sort of recover and heal and to accept that how things are for you in these days? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so the physical side of it, I think that was the easy bit because, you know, uh, you you know that, uh, you know, you have to do these exercises over and over again um, it, to get stronger or to walk further or, you know, to help me see and so forth. But, um, it, you know, mentally what I didn't realize was um, I, it, the thing is people would look at you and they would say, oh, you look great, you know, you're doing so well, well done you, why don't you go back to work and all this? Um, but but actually inside, I didn't feel great at all. <laughs> and be, because I couldn't hear people very well, my stability wasn't um, great. So although visually I presented myself as, you know, um, uh, I couldn't tell them that, I have noises in my head and I can't hear very well and I can't eat. I can't eat. Uh, my mouth doesn't move. I can't taste food, for instance. And it took me many months to start eating um, chunky food, for instance. I wouldn't go out because because I couldn't feel the food. They would come down my face. So it was, you know, quite embarrassing for me. And uh, yeah, lots of. I would say things that were a little bit, you know, uh, indignant, you know, for for a woman. Uh, I just, yeah. So uh, I I think I became quite isolated and I also felt that, you know, my narrative, because my recovery was taking such a long time, you do get to a stage where you think, oh, my narrative is just so boring to people. And and again, uh, and I didn't really have anything else to say apart from, oh, I managed to open this packet today, you know. Woo-hoo. So um, I, I I kind of yeah just started doing my own thing, and you know, it, it in in the house, and um, uh, I did become quite anxious. I, I sort of wondered whether I would ever get you know better, and whether. I'd ever return to the things that I love because I do enjoy working and I like exercising, like I said. And I, you know, ordinarily I'm quite sociable. Um, and then I'd, I, I, again, I don't, I'm not quite sure how this happened, but um, uh, someone told me that on Booper there's a counseling session and they're really strongly recommended. I, uh, ring them up and use them. So for anyone listening, Macmillan's, they have a booper service and six counselling sessions are completely free. And and for me, I think it transformed. It, well, it took me from where I was. So I'd managed, say, this part of the recovery on my own. And then the next sort of bit to get to this level was thanks to the counsellor. Um, and luckily for me, he too had had a brain tumor 
many years ago and he was recovering so he could completely relate and uh he was just you know perfect he he kind of uh in my view he rebuilt the inside of me that was all you know uh smashed i suppose broken he re- rebuilt that helped me to understand what had happened to me um and uh, why i couldn't do the things that i could he explained all that to me and once i had that understanding he gave me steps to sort of say look it's it, it's it's okay you know to feel vulnerable and again uh, i think as a woman you want to as you know especially if you have a uh, a family and if you if you're in a sort of like a management role you kind of think people uh, look look uh, to you for for help you know so i kind of felt i didn't know where where to go i needed to put this front up for my family uh because I didn't want them to worry and I didn't really know who to talk to about how, you know, I was inside. So, yeah, he gave me, you know, good good strategies and, and, and again, because I was eager to, uh, you know, uh, progress, I did absolutely everything and he said what a great student I was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it, yeah, so... Counseling is, I think, very, very important uh, to to have of that. And and for me, once I had that, I felt some of the old me started, you know, coming back. And I myself, I like setting goals. I like challenging myself. Uh, and and I basically, from then on, I just put myself in very uncomfortable situations, knowing that. These are the things I, w- I will learn from. So if I feel uncomfortable doing this, so for instance, going into a crowded space, if I do it once, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway kind of thing. Um, uh, it, yeah, so that that's what my strategy has been, um, kind of doing things that hurt me. So when, when, uh, when I am in a busy situation, uh, I do get headaches and the noises in my head become louder for some reason. I don't know why. And uh, my vision goes as well. So on this side of my eye, although, again, it looks normal, um, when I'm stressed, I don't see solid. I see bushes of color, you know, like paint strokes. Yeah. Pink brush strokes. <laughs> so, Yeah. So, yeah, um, so my personal strategy has been to just do do things, even though I'm really scared of doing them. I don't like the sensation. I find when I uh, go back to them over and over again, it becomes easier. And as I know that it's going to become easier, I just do those scary things. (laughs) I love that. One of the things that I say often to... um, anybody who will listen to me, uh, that there's no growth without discomfort. Yes. Yeah. I would completely and utterly agree. Yes. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and even during that uncomfortable situation, uh, you learn so much about yourself. Um, and in many ways, you know, uh, 
I think you become much stronger as well because you know you can deal with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then what advice would you give for women who are sort of in maybe at the beginning of the journey, they've, they've been diagnosed with this. What kind of advice would you give for women who are perhaps going through a similar situation like, like you have? Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, yes. Um, so my particular um, uh, tumour is um, quite rare and, and every single um, tumour experience is very unique. But whether a woman is going through, you know, whatever trauma it is, uh, particularly uh, around an operation, uh, for me, I wish I had uh, gained more information before the operation because once you've had the operation, you are so sick and everyone, you know, your immediate family, they are so concerned for you that they don't know where to look for information. And uh, there's information that you don't even know that you need. And so if you do find out that you have to have a major operation, you know, uh, I, I would try finding out what support is available to you post-operation because having that support system outside is so, so important. And I, and I sort of discovered it at a later date when maybe I, uh, it would have been better for me to receive that beforehand earlier on. Yeah. So I, uh, yes, I, I think it's probably, uh, find out what's available to you, but also I think self-belief that I think as human beings, we are much, much stronger than we think we are. And particularly the mind, you know, uh, I feel as if, I, uh, you know, my mind has done miracles to my body simply through, you know, what I believe that it can do. So I really, truly believe that, uh, so, you know, whatever you sort of imagine. So, you know, don't go into a traumatic um, operation thinking, oh, this, this is it. I, go in as a fighter, I say. <laughs> Great advice. <laughs> yeah. My last question is, how has your journey impacted your perspective on life and the importance of self-care? Ah, <laughs> yeah, self-care, absolutely, yeah. I would say number one now. Um, it, it, it's so easy to uh, kind of, you know, neglect yourself when you're very, very busy with your job and family and your friends, etc. But but now I think my perspective is that um, in terms of career, uh, there are choices. You know, you do have a choice. You don't have to sort of do this nine to five. There are so many other ways of um, getting, uh, you know, career fulfillment. Um, and I also think... Uh, Particularly, I think in my line of job, where um, as a lecturer you become a little bit isolated um, because you kind of, you know, do your own thing. And what I have um, realised is the importance of having a really good support um, group of friends that you actually interact with face to face on a regular basis. 
um, uh, and and that just does so much, you know, for your general well-being. Because I think, uh, in my experience, you know, the people who I'm around, uh, we we all have tendencies to just sort of focus on our families, and you know, we I don't know, give up going out. For instance, we don't make it a priority to meet our friends, and so. Uh, I think my priorities have probably changed for, for, for the better. <laughs> and yeah, looking after yourself. That's fantastic. What a what an amazing story. And and we so appreciate you being so open and kind to share such intimate details of your recovery. I know it's going to be helpful to a lot of women out there and men. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. Um, I would like to just sort of bullet point a few things that you've said for our audience and um, you let me know if I get any of this wrong or if there's anything else that you would like to be sure that people understand from your story. Number one, have a positive mindset, right? You know, do your visualizations, um, see yourself in recovery. I think that's that's an amazing piece of um, information for anybody, no matter what the situation is that they're in. But particularly, I think, in in these situations where recovery is involved, it's very important to keep that in mind. Um, be proactive in your recovery. Don't wait, you know, don't wait for the doctors or the therapist to say, do this, do this, do this. You, follow your intuition. Yeah, I do do things that you you would normally do instinctively and and take an active role in your your own health care. That is that something that you would um, definitely be a proponent of, I think. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think intuition, your own intuition is so um, important and you do have to take responsibility as well for your own um uh, uh recovery because i was told so many things about my recovery and uh those things didn't actually happen so they they didn't expect me to walk so quickly um but 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 i did and the same with eating and they told me not to do various different things but i i just did them because i you know inside something was telling me to do those things so I really think well, one thing I have learned is actually listening to my own body uh, d uh, because you actually have all the answers yourself. I, uh, I, that's what I found. <laughs> I 100% agree with that. And I love so much that you've mentioned that it's for you to take responsibility. I think that is one of the most important things that people can understand, right? That. We have doctors and healthcare workers, but the responsibility for what happens in our life on any level is ours. Yes. Yeah. So another thing that, that I think was very, very important for people to hear again is the importance of seeking help outside for your mental and emotional well-being also. That when these these changes are happening in our lives, sometimes it's difficult to put them together and to see ourselves in this new situation and to use your words to 
get help from for the inside and to put together what seems to be broken. Yes. Yes. And then also um, the importance of self-care and self-belief, believing in ourselves and um, being able to have that trust that we know what's best. And the last thing is to do your research. When you have a diagnosis or or something on this line that you, before you go into any sort of treatment regimen or, or surgery or anything that you do research ahead so you have a better idea of what you are going to be facing down the line. So did I miss anything? Yeah, is there a- no, I think I like all of it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Isra. We want to take a moment to just appreciate you for sharing your inspiring journey with us. And your strength and resilience truly are remarkable. It's amazing to have you be so open to share so much with us of your story. And I know for sure it's going to be helpful to a lot of other people. Oh. So we want to we want to invite our viewers to share their own stories suggest future topics or future guests that that would be helpful for others to hear. And we'd like to actively invite you to engage with Surviving Womanhood community. And let's remember, mark your calendars and join us for our next Wisdom Women's Wisdom Wednesdays on November 15th. This week I got the date right. When we'll have the privilege of hosting another remarkable guest who will share her inspiring story. And Isra, again, your journey is a testament to the strength of the human spirit and the power of resilience. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. Your story is going to serve as an inspiration to all of us. I I am truly inspired uh, by your attitude, your story, but, but your attitude and and the openness and willingness and the beautiful smile that you have while you're telling your story, your your uh, zest for life shows on your face and and in your your telling of your story. Oh, thank you, thank you yes. so much, thank you. Yes, and and for all of those out there who've been touched by Isra's story, please let let us hear from you. We want to hear about your story. Think about how you've been inspired by Isra. Imagine how others will be inspired by you. We value your voice and we want to create a community where we can all learn and grow together. So also, if you want to catch up on any of the Women's Wisdom Wednesday episodes and podcasts that you've missed, please visit our website at www.survivingwomanhood.com and click on podcasts. Thank you all again very much. Bianca, you have anything else for us? No, I don't. I was to say thank you, Isra, and we'll be sure to put your your details of your Instagram so people can find you and follow your journey onto our channels so they can find you. Uh, and any support groups that you might have yes. or information, we'll put that on there. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I will do it. I will send a support group over to you. Yes, definitely. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank Thank you to all of you who are listening or watching on our YouTube podcast or watching us live. 
Together, let's face every challenge, rise above adversity, and support one another on our journey of surviving womanhood. See you next time. Thank you, Israel.